0: The bears are cute and fuzzy and interesting if they're in a tree in someone's yard, but they're not nearly so cute and fuzzy if they're in your refrigerator or tearing up your kitchen. It's not fair to the bears what we've allowed them to get themselves into.
1: Welcome to Notes from the Bee Yard. You're listening to episode 17 The Trap is Set. In 1989, a conflict emerged between beekeepers and bears in Boulder County, Colorado, that didn't exist prior and that continues today. Today's episode explores the roots of that conflict, and it's also a good example of what it can feel like to be in the beginning stages of learning to respond to an emerging threat. My name is Laura Tyler. I'm your producer and host. This is Episode 17, The Trap is Set, written by Tom Theobald in 1990 and read by Tom in 2021.
0: The first of the Robins was singing Welcome to a New Day. A Stuart poet came out the back door of his porch and glanced down toward his bees. Although the colonies were seventy-five yards away, in the bottom nearer the creek, he could see that the door to the culvert trap had fallen. No doubt, as he covered the distance to the trap in the early light, he was both expectant and uneasy. In the evening before, We had moved the trap in near the bees and set the door just as we lost the last light. All we could do was wait to see what the dawn revealed, but the night was hardly over for me. One of my most productive bee yards, with some of my best equipment, lay three-quarters of a mile south of Stewart's. Nearly all of the bear's raiding had been in bee yards right on the creek. However, he had visited one about a half mile from the creek. The bear would have to leave the cover of the creek and cross open fields to reach my yard, which I doubted he would be eager to do. But the bee yard was certainly within range if he was foraging. I couldn't take the chance. So, with the trap set, I returned home for a quick dinner, and after eating, proceeded to unload beekeeping equipment from the truck. Into the truck went things not usually associated with beekeeping. A sleeping bag, cot, a handful of cherry bombs, flashlight, and just to be on the safe side, the .30-06. The last thing I wanted to do was shoot a bear in the dark, alone. And in fact, there was a difference of opinion between myself and the game warden as to whether or not I would be within my rights to do so. But I wanted to be prepared if things went sour. As I pulled up to the darkened bee yard, well away from any roads or houses, in the middle of a former tree farm, I positioned the truck some distance from the bees. I really didn't expect the bear to appear with me there. I pointed the truck toward the bee yard in the event that I needed the lights, set up my cotton bag, and across the cab I placed my arsenal. Slipping into my sleeping bag, I leaned back to look up at the dark sky and recalled where I had been just two weeks before, in another world, deep in the canyons of Utah, running a river with Barbara and friends. I had been told many tales of woe about this particular stretch of river, about the ravenous hordes of insects, mosquitoes, horseflies, deerflies, all manner of critters whose lives are spent along the river waiting for something alive to pass by. But by midsummer, the river was down and the mudflats had dried. Except for some daytime horseflies, which delighted in taking a painful bite out of wet skin and foraging wasps around the camp in the evening, most of the insects had completed their respective cycles and died, which suited me fine. What stood out about the trip. And what I recalled now as I lay in my sleeping bag in the back of the truck was the night sky. I had been away too long. I had forgotten what a pure sky is meant to look like. Above the canyon walls a black canopy spread, blazing with a million brilliant stars. Barbara and I drifted off to sleep each night, counting meteors. What I saw from my bed in the open truck was something else. Not ugly, necessarily, but washed out, faded by city lights, obscured as if viewed through a veil of gauze, sullied by our collected debris, and I had a sense of loss. A quarter moon slipped slowly toward the foothills behind scuttling white clouds as my mind wandered and I listened for the night noises the occasional whine of tires on the diagonal highway off in the distance, the rustle of mice in the grass, a night hawk up above, the snap of a twig, and I finally fell asleep some time after midnight. A penetrating odor and a wet nose awoke me at about 4 a.m. Molly. My two-year-old Australian Shepherd had come along with me. The night before, I couldn't get Molly in the back of the truck with me, no matter how I tried. She had ridden in the back many times, but she is one of those dogs that is leery of any new situation, and there was something about the cot in the back of the truck she didn't like the looks of. Now, she couldn't get close enough to me. As the fog cleared from my brain, I realized what was up. She had discovered her first skunk and couldn't wait to share the news. By now, the sun was coming up anyway, so keeping Molly at a distance, I packed up and returned home. Stuart called about seven, just as I was finishing up Molly's second tomato paste bath. He had seen that the trap was sprung when he awoke and found one very surprised neighborhood skunk. No bear, no further damage to the bees. While I would have liked to resolve the bear problem that first night, I still thought it would be only a short time before we had him. If he followed the pattern of the previous two weeks, He would take a night or two off before showing up at another bee yard. Then we could move the trap and nab him on his second nocturnal visit. One night stretched to two and then three with no sign of our bear. A week went by, and with each passing day, I thought it more likely that he would show up hungry it would be very unusual for a bear to willingly leave even a single bee yard once it had been discovered. This bear had a veritable feast along Left Hand Creek with several bee yards to choose from, all of which he had raided at least once before. While the waiting game was nerve-wracking and the thrill had gone out of working all day and spending my nights, Sleeping in the back of the truck, I could have handled it but for one little problem. For months, Barbara's family had been planning a 50th anniversary celebration for her parents in Wisconsin. We were to leave on the morning of July 21st, driving with our daughter Tracy and her boyfriend Brian. As the 21st approached, with still no bear, it became obvious that I couldn't leave without knowing the status of the bear. On the morning of the 21st, they all pulled out without me. Neither the bear nor I were very popular. As soon as they had left, I corralled my friend John Stabular, and outlined my plan. We would start at my bee yard out near the foothills and walk the creek to Longmont a distance of about 10 miles. I was beginning to think that one of the farmers had popped the bear and was just keeping quiet about it. If we hiked the creek, I could satisfy myself as to his whereabouts. I wasn't really eager to develop a personal relationship with the bear, but I had to find out where he was or wasn't we might find only old sign perhaps fresh tracks maybe even tracks with the bear still in them we didn't know quite what to expect
1: what was it like sleeping in the back of the truck
0: well, fortunately, it wasn't too bad because there didn't seem to be any mosquitoes. could, could have been much less pleasant if the mosquitoes were chewing on me. And uh, aside from uh, Molly and her incident with the skunk, it was pretty unexciting.
1: We have to talk about the skunk and Molly. Well,
0: you have, uh, you have two kinds of dogs. Uh, Related to skunks and porcupines. Some dogs learn with one trial. That's the last encounter that they're going to have with a skunk or a porcupine. Other dogs never learn. (laughs) No matter how many times they get sprayed with a skunk or get porcupined in the nose, they never learn. They've always got to be watched.
1: So what kind of dog was Molly?
0: I don't recall ever having another incident with a skunk and Molly. Yeah,
1: yeah. So let's talk about this plan that you had. You brought your gun and you thought you might have to shoot this bear. I I can only imagine what that must have felt like. That must have been a little bit scary.
0: I wasn't about to shoot the bear, and uh, early on... Mike Babbler wanted me to take some rubber buckshot for my shotgun. And I declined, and I told him, I said, I don't think it's a good idea for me to be shooting a bear in the butt with rubber buckshot when I'm out here alone. (laughs) And I certainly wouldn't have shot the the bear with the .30-06. I just wanted to keep the bear from raiding the bee yards. It certainly made me feel more comfortable to have the arsenal along. and The last thing I wanted to do was to shoot the bear. Yeah. I didn't want to do yeah. that. In fact, I gained respect for the bear despite what it was doing to me.
1: How did you gain respect for the bear?
0: Well, I, I talked about it earlier. I I began to see that the bear was learning how to handle the bees, and didn't have to destroy a colony to take what it wanted from it. Mm
1: -hmm. So this issue with bears and bees is complicated. It's really interesting to hear that your first incident with this happened in 1989, and now it's become on the front range along the drainages, um, having bears uh, for many people. It's almost an annual recurrence.
0: It is, and it's going to get much worse
1: What makes you say that?
0: Well, because of what I understand of bears, um, there was an article in the Boulder paper two or three weeks ago advising people on how to protect against the damage. And one of the things that was recommended was to have a bear-proof garbage can which sounds like good sense, and it is, but you have to consider what the bear's natural instinct is. If a bear suspects that there's something nutritious, like ants or grubs, in a fallen tree, their reaction to that is to open the tree, to tear the tree open and, and eat whatever is in there that they can smell. Well, if you carry that to suburban Colorado, what are the bears going to do when you've removed the source of nutrition that they've become accustomed to by raiding garbage cans and dumpsters? And, well, my prediction, the bears will go into houses. It's no challenge for a bear to rip off a door or for that matter, to rip open a wall. And the next thing you know, mm-hmm. they're in your kitchen.
1: Yeah, I know. So. I grew up in a place where bears get into cabins all the time. It's uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. And this speaks to this complicated relationship that we have with bears. There's something really beautiful and charming about the bears. And they do come into the neighborhoods. And they're fun to watch. And sometimes it's mama bears and their cubs hanging out in a tree on a street for a few days. And, uh, you know, people come and take pictures. But then at the same time, that bear, as it becomes habituated to to people, it can become a problem. And what we're learning is that relocation doesn't really work. And then what do you do?
0: Well, I think, and I'm sure it sounds heartless to many of the listeners, I think the problem needs to be addressed at the source. And I can remember when I was a kid, if you got a deer or an elk license, you also got a bear tag. And I'm sure that this is something that was encouraged by the ranchers, and it worked. So if you're a hunter and you happen to have a bear appear and you wish to, You can take that bear and settle up with the paperwork after the fact. We never had these kinds of bears problems when I was growing up. We didn't have problems with bees and bears until, well, I've said in the columns, 1989. I once put uh, whole colonies, whole bee yards of bees at El Dorado Springs to get away from the alfalfa spraying. And there was no protection whatsoever. Bee yards of 24 colonies. I never had any concern with bears because we had never had any bear problems before. But what happened was there was concern about sows with cubs being shot in the spring, orphaning the cubs. And so there was a law... The law was changed so that there was no spring bear hunt.
1: Well, Tom, can there be something in between, you know, shooting the bear and then treating them like pets? Like, what about hazing bears, making noise, making it um, unpleasant for them to come into town? I'm
0: afraid there's no way to avoid the fact that we have a responsibility of keeping the wildlife in balance with the available habitat. And I'm afraid that there's no way to solve this problem short of, of harvesting the bears early in the season.
1: Yeah, it's I think. heartbreaking. I hear your stories and the bears have personalities and I'm also you know, aware of the concern if you have bees. In a residential area, as many people do in Boulder County, you're, that's just one more draw for the bears to come into town. So,
0: they're wonderful animals until they're in your refrigerator.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Bee Yard. We publish new episodes on Fridays at noon join us next week for episode 18 down left hand creek in the meantime hop on over to notes from the br.buzz and subscribe and we'll be back next week